the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Abounding Grace, we continue our survey of the book of Luke. Join us with Pastor Gary Wagner up next. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Greetings in Christ and welcome to our program. We're continuing our survey of Luke. We find ourselves in chapter 22 today, looking at verses 7 through 23. If you were with us last time we were together, we're picking up where we left off at that time as we focus on the betrayal of Jesus, his gospel, and communion. With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. If you expect to have your sins forgiven and be with God throughout all eternity in the happy bliss of of heaven, then you must offer God an absolutely morally unblemished life in thought, word, and deed from the moment you were conceived until the moment you die without one infraction, because that one infraction whether it is simply stealing one little piece of bubblegum or telling a white lie, will send you to hell. Now, before I go any further, how does that make you feel? It makes me think I was beat before I, was even, before I even got started. I came out of my mother's womb looking for opportunities to sin. And it makes me feel pretty rotten. Well, that's the way it's supposed to make you feel. When you hear the Word of God saying things like this, you are to feel hopeless in and of yourself. I can't produce a sinless life. I can't live above moral imperfection. I'm a sinner. And that is so true. So when you stand before God, and He says to you, where is that perfect life? I told you needed to offer to me If you were to get into heaven, we are to look at God and say, Lord, I offer you the perfect life of Jesus in my place. He not only died for me, he lived for me. His act of obedience, his 30 years of doing everything the law commanded, which I cannot do, he did in my place. That is active obedience. Now, his passive obedience refers to everything he suffered in paying the penalty of sin. Everything Jesus suffered in our place, we refer to as passive obedience. These two phrases must never be separated. They can be distinguished, but they must never be separated. So when Jesus suffered, died, experienced all the anguish, all the torment in body and soul, he was doing that for us so that we might escape the torment and horror of hell. And we refer to that as passive obedience. That is the second condition that has to be met if we are to be saved. One, 
you have to offer God a perfect life. And number two, all of your sins must be punished in hell. Do you know that the, the end of time, there will not be one sin that is not punished? There will never be one sin that any human being has ever committed that will go unpunished. It was either punished in Jesus as our substitute, or it will be punished in those unbelievers who leave this life in unbelief in hell. But every sin will be punished. So when you stand before God and God asks, where is the sacrifice for all of your sins? You say, Lord, here is Jesus' death, which I offer you in my place. Lord, I'm a failure, but I offer Jesus' life and his active obedience in my place. And Father God, I offer you the death of Jesus, his passive obedience in my place. And I tell you, friends, that is your only hope for salvation. And I truly hope that you're listening. Without the active and passive obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, credited to your account, you have no hope. And it is Christ who has done everything to accomplish that. That is what it means to say it is finished. It is over. It is accomplished. Everything that needed to be done to save sinners has been done. You needed to live a perfect life. Christ lived that life. You needed a sacrificial death in your place. Christ died that death. You have absolutely nothing to contribute, as if you really had anything ever to contribute. You have nothing you can earn, nothing to merit, nothing to work for. Yours only is to believe, to believe the truth about what the Bible says about the active and passive obedience of Christ, and then beg Him to be your Savior. He did everything. It's not like there was a chasm between God and us, and Jesus built half a bridge, and then He said, okay, you go ahead and you build the other half. No, he built a bridge all the way across the chasm. You say, well, I accepted Jesus, but sir, surely I've got to do something to strengthen that relationship and to make sure that my salvation is certain. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make sure your salvation is certain. Well, what if I pray more? Or, or maybe I need to listen to more sermons or on, on CD or read more books. Or maybe I just simply need to quit sinning so much and maybe that will just sort of secure my salvation a little bit more firmly. No. Jesus confirmed it. Jesus rendered it absolutely certain. He said on the cross, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done in order to save sinners, Christ has done by his life and death. And now you just need to believe. You say, but surely praying, obeying the law and avoiding sin counts for something. It counts for nothing. You say, well, surely being a diligent student of Scripture and being a Calvinist counts for something. At least I'm not an Arminian. Being a good student of Scripture and a Calvinist counts for nothing. So you sit there and you say, well, why then do we pray and study God's Word? Well, it's not to make points with God. 
not to render our salvation more certain and more sure. So why then do we pray and obey God? Why are we Calvinist? Because it pleases the one who lived for us and died for us on the cross. That's why. That's all. It pleases him and there is nothing more in this world that we should want to do than please the one who shed his blood and lived his life for us. So now, how do we see all this taking place in the upper room? Well, first of all, let us see if we can understand truly the passive obedience of Christ. What in the upper room shows us that Christ is yielding, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, doing whatever had to be done to save us from the penalty of our sins. Now here, I really need you to use your imaginations. Try to visualize what's going on in that room. Jesus went into the upper room, fully committed to passive obedience, fully committed to suffer whatever needed to be suffered to save us from our sins. The Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It has been roasted. It is sitting there on the table with the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread. That roasted lamb was the sign and seal of the love of God for his Old Testament people. It reminded them of the divine love that God that caused God to save his people from the death that came to the homes of the Egyptians because of the blood on the doorposts. And on that Thursday of Passion Week, the great son of Abraham enters the upper room full of faith in God, burning with zeal for him. But the eternal judgment of God for his people will be his alone to bear. He is the only perfect man in the room, and yet he will not escape. He and he alone will bear the eternal judgment of God for his people. And when he bears that judgment, all the demons in hell, Claus Schilder said, will gnaw at his flesh. Satan will have his way with him. The wrath of God will be poured out on him. An angry God will punish him in order to satisfy his justice for our breaking of his law. So when Jesus looks at that roasted Passover lamb that night, I'm sure it shook his soul. When he saw that lamb, that had been sacrificed sitting on that table hours before his death. What did he actually see? He saw himself. He was the only one in that room who believed the gospel without any doubts. He was the only one in the room who was morally perfect. He was the only one in the room who understood the gospel perfectly. But the destroyer, the death angel, the judgment of God for sin would not pass over him that day. It would pass over 11 of his apostles, but it would not pass over him. As he is looking at that roasted lamb, he knew that no blood could be sprinkled on the doorpost of his life to save himself. But his blood would be sprinkled on the doorpost of the lives of his people. The blood of his slain Passover lamb condemned Jesus in his face. All of the universe would recede, beloved, into chaos if he should try to find some blood to sprinkle on his own life to escape the coming judgment of God that he would experience the next day. He is perfect, sinless, son of Israel who would be crucified the next day as the great Egyptian, as the great man covered with the sins of his people. He must die. 
the only begotten Son of God could not be purified by the blood of an animal. His own blood and no one else's blood must open the new and living way to God. And I can imagine as Jesus was there that night looking at that roasted lamb, never was a Passover lamb so huge as the lamb on that table. And never did a man suffer so while eating a piece of lamb all for us and for our salvation. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he saw it in that lamb, and he still longed to face the cross because he loved his people. What about his active obedience? Remember, his passive obedience is everything he suffered to satisfy the penalty of the law in our place. His active obedience was everything he obeyed of the law of God to satisfy the condition that God made for us to be saved. So how do we see Jesus actively obeying God in that upper room? He's there, first of all. He's in that room. He's not in hiding. He didn't run away. No one is forcing him to do this. He said, I lay down my life of myself. No one takes it from me. Then with his own hands, he actively clears a place on the table for the slain lamb. He makes his apostles, he takes his apostles with him to this meal. And although eating the Passover meal will bring him inexpressible anguish, he sits down with his beloved apostles and he takes up the meat of the lamb, blesses it, and raises his eye to God and prays to him for his provision of salvation for his people. And as Klaus Schilder said, the flesh of the Passover lamb burned in his mouth as he ate it. He would bear whatever suffering was necessary because he exceedingly loved his own. The Passover lamb had to be unblemished, young, full of life. Such was Jesus in that upper room as he goes to be slain. He satisfied the law of God perfectly in his active obedience and paid the penalty to the last degree. And a firm foundation was laid for our salvation. That is why the gospel is that we are saved by faith alone. You don't save yourself by doing enough good works, by being kind and being loving, by being humane. You could never do those things enough to turn away God's wrath from you and to satisfy His justice because you are fully depraved sinner deserving God's displeasure without hope except for His sovereign mercy. And without the shedding blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the living of a perfect life, there is no forgiveness for sins. If you could save yourself by doing enough good, loving enough, and being sweet enough, and kind enough, and humane enough. Do you really think God would have given up His Son to all of this? If there was any other way to open to God after He decided to save sinners, then by suffering, then by the suffering and death of His Son, don't you think He would have found another way? He gave up His Son, beloved, so that He didn't have to give up you. Can you even imagine? He sent his son. And that's what John 3.16 is all about. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Why is it that if a person believes in Jesus, he will not perish but have everlasting life? Because in his life, Jesus lived for us. And in his death, Jesus died for us. And he obtained our eternal redemption once and for all. So nothing else needs to be done for us to be saved. And ours is only to receive with open, empty, outstretched hands Christ and the salvation that he's accomplished for us. Here is our responsibility now that salvation has been accomplished in the life of Christ, his active obedience and his death, passive obedience. Klaus Schilder again says in figurative language, we must step up to the table now and put our fingers in his blood and sprinkle his blood over the doorposts of our houses and our hearts. Isn't that a powerful picture? That is what it means to believe. To believe is to say, Jesus is my Passover. The, the death angel, with all of the judgment of God, has come right at my house and my heart. And my only hope is to take the sacrificial blood and sprinkle it on my heart, believing it can save me from the wrath of God. And then, when it slays this person and that person, it will pass over me. Though I deserve to be slain, it will pass over me. And it's not because of anything in me or anything in you, but because that blood that we received and rest on through faith alone. So whoever understands this moment in the upper room and its role in accomplishing our salvation, his or her soul will be illumined as never before. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century and possibly of all time, was J. Grisham Machen, who taught at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. He has literally been called Mr. Valiant for Truth, as learned and valiant a spiritual warrior as the Protestant church has ever produced in modern times. He only lived to be 55 years old, but beloved, if you ever find a book that has his name on it, buy it and read it and you will be blessed. He took a vacation to go hiking in the Rocky Mountains. And then he had some preaching engagements in North Dakota. He goes there and he preaches, but people notice that he looks quite weak. And he continues to weaken until finally he's not even able to stand. He has pneumonia and he's dying. It's now New Year's Eve. His close friend Samuel Allen is with him, and Machen, towards the end of his life, tells him of a vision that he had just had of heaven. He said, Sam, it was glorious. A little later, he comes into consciousness and again looks at Sam and says, isn't the reformed faith grand? The following day, he was largely unconscious, but there were intervals when his mind was thoroughly alert. And in one of those moments of, of lucidness, he dictated a telegram to his colleague, John Murray, which contained his last words, which are, I am thankful for the active obedience of Christ, for there is no hope without it. And so he died around 7.30 p.m., January the 1st, 1937. And what was he rejoicing 
What was he rejoicing in while he was right at the door of death? He could hardly wait to get into heaven. He was dreaming about it. And what was giving him such confidence and joy that that would be his resting place? Not only that Jesus Christ had suffered and died for him and made it impossible for him to ever go to hell because Jesus Christ took his hell in his place, but his confidence that he would be accepted by God with open arms was because Jesus lived a perfect life for him. Can you say that about your own life? Most Christians don't even know there is such a thing as the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. Most Christians in the 21st century don't even understand the gospel. What are your final words going to be? I like what Pastor Smokey Stover told me one time. He said, Gary, I don't really want to hear a preacher's first sermon. And this is when I asked him how did he feel about the first sermon I ever did. He says, I want to hear your last one. I don't want to hear the first words. I want to hear your last words. When your time comes to die, for which most of us will be sooner than we want it to be, will you be able to die with certainty and joy of knowing in just a short time you will be in the presence of a reconciled God? There's no way to die without terror and with joy unless you can say with J. Grisham Machen, I am so thankful not only for the passive obedience of Christ that he died for me, but I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ that he lived for me. There's no hope without it, beloved. So let me conclude by just reminding you at the point of being repetitious, there are two conditions that must be met according to God if you are to live forever in His presence. The first condition is that you must offer God a sinless life. The second is that every sin in your life must be punished. For a person that is serious-minded and who thinks it makes him completely hopeless in and of himself to imagine such a thought as, I can't produce that life. It will take me all of eternity to die that kind of death. He must be brought by God's grace to understand that his only hope is in Jesus Christ. For Jesus paid it all, all to him. I owe Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When your current turn comes to stand before God, He's going to ask, Where is the life I want? And we can only answer, Lord, my life is wretched. I can only offer the perfect life of Jesus. Well, where is the death I demand of you? Lord, I should die that death. But I praise, that you, I praise you that you gave me a substitute in the sacrificial death of Jesus. That is what faith is, beloved. So I pray when we take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, that when we take the bread and the wine, that you will use your imagination. In the upper room after the last Passover, there was the institution of the Lord's Supper. And when Jesus broke the bread and poured out the blood-red wine into the goblet, what did he see? 
He saw himself crucified. And I pray that is what we shall see and that that is what we shall rest our hope in by faith as we take that sacrament. Amen. And that will bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.